0: This is the CIIS Public Programs Podcast featuring talks and conversations recorded live by the Public Programs Department of California Institute of Integral Studies, a nonprofit university located in San Francisco on unceded Ramaytush Ohlone land. Through our programming, we strive to amplify the voices of those who have historically been underrepresented. To find out more about CIIS and public programs like this one, visit our website, ciis.edu, and connect with us on social media at CIS Pub Programs.
1: It's always a pleasure to do things, events like this for CIS public programs, but I got particularly excited when I got to get this extraordinary book in my hand, and I read it cover to cover. and I'm recommending it to everybody I know, Susan. So thank you for joining us in this inc- <laughs> wonderful endeavor here to to give people this sense that they really have this sort of inner monitor that is going to allow them to come into a more graceful, loving relationship with their body. So your title. Let's just start with that. The inside story. Yeah. surprising pleasures of
2: living in an aging body what well, motivated first, you meg i want to thank you for that nice introduction oh. and for having me here at cis i used to be a supervisor here many many at cis yeah years yeah. and years ago oh we do oh, we, do. Oh, we, do. So we it's,
1: exploit it's, a lot of psychologists out there for their <laughs> hard work
2: <laughs> thank you thank you for your service yes <laughs> indeed so um the title um You know, I think there there are sort of two things about the title. One of the one of them is that um, it suggests that, you know, the inside story suggests something hidden that you don't know about that I want to let you in on. (laughs) And in fact, I do want to let you in on how important, you know, body awareness is for our well-being. Um, But then, you know, it's also, uh, it it alludes to the fact that I want to talk about your inner body, Um, sensing yourself from within. In other words, your inside story. Mm -hmm. And I want to help you have a better inside story. I like Um, that.
1: I like the fact that, you know, people... It seems like many decades of our life, we're always interested in our perceptions or, you know, how are people perceiving me, all the data, all the information coming from the outside. And you're looking at interoception, you know, all the, the inward em- embodiment of that. That's a, that's a big shift for people
2: to make. Yeah, well, that's exactly the shift that I want people to make, you know, to stop thinking about how they look from the outside. Right. Um, And how they actually feel on the inside. And I just think that it's so helpful, uh, especially for women in our society, to get away from the focus on the on the on appearance and on how we look. And sadly enough, it doesn't go away. You know, as we get older, Um, people are still concerned about that. And I'm concerned about about women, you know, continuing to have those concerns as they get older. So what's great is this um, this new science has come along. And uh, it's, as you said, it's called interoception. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just burgeoning right now. You know, there was yes. some talk of it in the early 19th century and then some in the 1990s. But the last two decades, there have been hundreds and hundreds of studies. And basically... What interoception is is it's a it's an ongoing process in our bodies. It's going on all the time. There are these sensations that are coming up from um, small nerve fibers all over our bodies, hmm. and these signals are getting funneled, you know, into the um, into our into our spinal cord, and then you know up through the brainstem where they're mapped, they're processed and mapped somewhat to give you a little map of our body. Yeah. But then they go all the way up to the um, something called the insula, which gives us a sense of our whole body.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: We do. We, have yeah. a, we both amazing? share that. We,
1: we both share this kind of love of what this emerging sciences are helping in behavioral health and psychology, yeah. just this new science of, of embodiment, really. You know, this is a big psych school, as you know, CIS. We've got five counseling psychology programs. We have a clinical PsyD program. And it used to be that just one of our psych programs, somatics, counseling psychology, was the kind of chieftain that looked at the body. But it's spread everywhere now. Every Mm -hmm. branch of psychology, counseling, master's in social work, clinical social work. I'm a psychiatric RN. We're all saying, wow. Wow. The body starts with the information, this whole somatosensory apparatus is finally gaining the respect it needs. And what I love in your book is, is you even point out, I think that, you know, Freud touched upon this a long time ago, but then sort of abandoned it as everything went more psychoanalytic, you know, but the sense that the body, the body holds the knowledge, the body holds the
2: signals. It's the foundation of our being. Yeah. Yeah you know, the the, the mind is rooted in the body. That's what's, that's (laughs) what's so great. It is
1: great. It's great to, to be able to share a way for people to do this sort of tuning in to this, um, this triumph really of, of the new body science, you know, and to use it to their advantage, because what you referred to before too, is a sad statement of ageism in our, in our society, in today's modern societies, all over the place, where people still feel that uh, without the right look, without the right appearance, somehow I will be dismissed. I will be heard. And I thought that was something we could get rid of in our 20s or 30s, to be honest. Right. But, wow, it, it still accompanies. So yeah. this, is this an antidote to ageism?
2: Well, that's what I'm hoping. You know, and of course to sexism as well, because this is all harder on women, you know, and when ageism and sexism come together, Mm -hmm. it's hard to be in an aging female body for some of us. I mean, things have gotten better. There is the positivity, the women's positivity movement, and you do see, um, you know, models of different sizes now. Occasionally, we're mm-hmm. even seeing some actresses and singers and so on that yeah. are heavier than we would have in the past. But still, um, women tend to be looking at themselves through this male gaze, you know, and and uh, the male gaze is, is, is looking at young, slender, sexy bodies, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I mean, part of that is sociobiological, of course. Because yes. they want to carry, they have to carry on the species. And that's a sign of, of childbearing health, somebody who's young. Amazing.
1: So that, well, I, that is a, a biological way to look at it. But there's, you know, we're speaking to LGBTQ audiences as well. Is your does your book with this interoceptive, does the message apply to people across gender spectrum?
2: Oh, I oh it definitely does. And that. I mean, you don't, you don't, you don't have uh, you. You can be of any gender identity, Mm -hmm. and still gain from my message, which is that it helps so much to get in touch with your inner body sensations. Frankly, I don't think that we of all these different gender identities or sexual orientations are very different on the inside. Which is what I'm talking about. I'm really talking about the inside body, the inside body. And it works. It works for um, what I'm talking about. Works for for everybody, you know.
1: And this and the I, narrative of ageism, I think, works across. Although there's strong social advocacy within varying sexual orientation and gender identity or orientation. There's such a push now in our in our contemporary life to to abandon some of these older narratives that are so troubling and distressing. But I think that this physiological lens you look through, the cultural lens that you've been looking through in this this book, there's information in here that's so critical for everyone. I was so impressed. I'm just going to pull up one of my favorite quotes for you as well. Um, You can write and rewrite your inside story throughout life. And you talk about Periods of adolescence, menopause or andropause or the aging body. These are all opportunities to rewrite your inside story through exercise, meditation, nutrition, social interactions. What,
2: what led you to say all of that? Um, I think it's it's really, it came out of my personal experience. You know, I, I when I was about 65, I... Um, I could feel some signs of aging, you know, of course, happening, and um, also, you know, some signs of anxiety and and all kinds of things. And I, I have done enough meditation in my life that I know that if I just sink down into my body, mm-hmm. I immediately feel better. Yeah, you know, it. You feel more grounded. You feel stronger. You feel clearer. And so uh, as I was going about my life, and certainly during the pandemic, when I started writing this book, oh yeah, and, and there was the anxiety of the pandemic, I kept finding myself really sinking down into my body and finding that calm state. It's not only calm, it's also very pleasurable to be mm-hmm. in your body. <laughs> and that's that's why I've got the, the subtitle of the surprising pleasures of living in an aging body, because when you're really dwelling in your body, living in your body, as I call it, it's very, very pleasurable.
0: And, it and is. Uh,
2: it, it's this works for for anybody of any age. But as we get older, it's it's so particularly important because our bodies are getting they're getting frailer. They're getting you know less stable less reliable and if we ever needed uh, this interoceptive awareness it's when we're older and yet nobody has talked about it i mean no no aging experts that i'm aware of you know have really talked about the importance of of body awareness in interoceptive awareness for aging and yet it's so intuitively obvious that that's what we need more of as we get older so we can feel really grounded and rooted in our bodies.
1: And it's—I I know when we had our little pre-talk, I said to you, um, I've had so many decades of working like uh, there's just a taskmaster behind me saying, "Go faster, do more, go faster, do more." And therefore, like James Joyce said in, in *Dubliners*, you know, Mister Smith lived six feet ahead of his body. <laughs> I was—I living, I was basically living six feet ahead of my body. And gotcha. and I decided on January one this year that I was going to start doing this thirty minutes of yoga with Adrian, this wonderful little yoga teacher on YouTube in Austin, because all of my grad students adore her. And I went, all right, I'm checking this out. That half hour of a meditative sit and a half hour of yoga, and I had to modify it a lot. This body was not a bendy body, <laughs> and so. But now, after my three, four months of this, um, I'm suddenly feeling like, oh, the body wants to do this right now. It needs to stretch. This hip that was hurting a little bit just (laughs) needs to go like this right now. I'm finally getting a sense of intero reception, what it is, in a really visceral way. So I just want to impart that word to everybody, that this book is real, the, the information in it. If is so skillfully craft, uh, uh, skillfully written in a way that just allows people to experience this. Mm-hmm. And it's not just meditation, yoga, and breath work, but it's this neuroplasticity you talk about in the brain, too. The aging brain uh, has some benefits to it about handling mixed
2: emotions, things like mm-hmm. that. Why is yeah. that? Yeah. Well, you're talking about some of the changes, you know, actually in the brain that come with aging. Is that is that what you're asking about? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that that hasn't been talked about very much either. You know, people talk about how we're happier as we get older, we're mellower as we get older, (laughs) we're less reactive. Mm. There are some reasons for that, you know, that are part of the aging brain. And one of them is. That enter interoception, um, despite all the positive things I've said about it, it actually wanes a little bit as we get older. Not completely okay. gone, no. But okay. I think what at all by any means. But what I mean by that is that we don't react as much in a physical mm-hmm. way to our emotions, and that's my experience. I yeah. remember, you know, going to final exams in college and having sweaty palms and a fast mm-hmm. heartbeat and stuff. And that's just not so true anymore. So, so our bodies are less reactive in that way. Thank goodness. Um, also our amygdala, you know, in our brain, which is the part of the brain that is it's kind of in charge of emotions and particularly negative emotions. It mm-hmm. generates them. Yeah. That also gets a little weaker. So the amygdala is also the waning of the amygdala, the declining of the amygdala also makes us a little, you know, calmer, calmer as we get older. Yeah. And then there's another change that another research group's been talking about, which is we can take more cortical higher brain control. And so we can sort of take control and we can turn things in our mind. We can change things, situations just to give them a different, more positive slant. Yeah. And that's often called the positivity bias. Like by Laura Carstensen at at Stanford. She's the one that coined that term. Mm -hmm. Um, And and it means exactly that, that if we're in a situation um, that's getting a little difficult, you know, the kids with us might be saying, oh, my God, what's going on here? And we're trying to sort of take a positive slant on it it won't last forever you know (laughs) so i think that's very helpful too as we age that positivity bias
1: (laughs) it's so great and i think this the other one that you mentioned too in the book is the ability to handle mixed emotions like yes this is a very sad event and i'm also kind of content over here you know Mm -hmm. that that um, stretch that yeah i can feel two things at once now Mm-hmm. And it's, and I don't have to have the the negativity bias, normally that it really runs us. It's a survival instinct. it yeah. is dampened down a bit, dampened down a bit. And I didn't know if that was because i'm I'm closer to death, so I've got just got to accept things as they are, but it is these kind of neural wiring changes or
2: that changes. plus plus you know being closer to death, it mm-hmm. gives us a different perspective. Yeah, We know that time is limited, and so we better make the most of it and not worry our way through it, but, you know, enjoy it. So I think that change in perspective, you know, less time ahead, um, you know, we better we better do it now or we're not going to have a chance. I love that.
1: Oh, there's one other thing I'd love to talk about, too, because I think it really helps people, friends I know who are who are still a bit obsessed between the difference with um, body image and body and not coming into body sense. You made
2: a beautiful oh. distinction there. Could you talk on that a bit? Well, that term body sense is is not used usually. I mean, I use it yeah. um, for having interoceptive awareness. In other words, set, being able to sense your body from within, being able to feel your body. Mm. So that's what I'm calling body sense. It's another word, really. I it think it's an easier word for interoceptive awareness. Body image is not how we sense ourselves from within, but it's how we see ourselves in our mind's eye. Oh, our imagination, what we're imagining others see. Too. Yes, what we imagine yeah. other people see and how we imagine ourselves. And, uh, of course, that's where you know a lot of people get in trouble is with their body image.
1: Awesome. And yeah. And I, I think men are actually in trouble too. I mean, I've always, as a journalist, health journalist, and nurse, I've always kind of been a, an advocate like yourself for women's image and body dysmorphia. When we looked at eating disorders and everything together. But yeah. I, I honestly am hearing a lot from young men now because of Marvel movies and the hyper masculinized heroes, action heroes, yeah. that there's this. This perfection stance of a male physique. And uh, there's a slight rise in young men's eating disorders as well. Yes. Kind of a, a frantic grasping of ketogenic diets that are just going to chisel them down to, you know, uh, godlike proportions. And so I, I just, just getting wrung out with body image and cultural, societal norms.
2: Yes.
1: This is yes. tough. This is it a tough frontier, that and, and
2: body image is so so linked to self esteem. Yeah. I mean it's you know it's everything, um, and too. to de- and to depression and eating disorders and anxiety and you know it, it just body image is crucial, and that's why I want us to have the the, the feeling from the inside, you know, <laughs> and it it, it really takes us away from our appearance. And yep. if in fact you're on your way to a party and you're worried about how you look or something, just sink down in your body and you'll immediately feel better because sink you're down feeling into the yourself body. from
1: within. Yeah. These 30 women that you interview in the book, extensive interviews, but you've also really go into the insights and learnings you've gathered from other researchers. And it's a, the book really blends both
2: of these together, but were they at the happiest years of their lives? Um, you're saying the the interviewees,
1: yeah, yeah. Because well. you strike me as being at the happiest in your life. <laughs> I didn't even know your whole life. I just know that <laughs> in between your your smile and your the way you reside in your body and the confidence you exude exude in it is just strikes me as maybe happiness is an elusive word. I don't know, Susan, maybe it's just a contentment to reside, to fully
2: occupy. Well, and, and just being older, you know, there's so many things about being older. You finally feel like you can damn well please. You can do what you damn well please. I mean, the, you sort of take off the veils, uh, you know, yeah. like it or leave it, like me or leave me. It just, so there's there's a lot of that going on. But What I found with the interviewees is they all said something like, um, "I'm not happy about you know my flesh sagging and wrinkling and everything, but it kind of it is what it is. Mm. I'm just accepting it more. I think there's a great deal of acceptance that can come out of aging." Yeah, yeah. And um, they all said in many ways. I'm happier now than ever before. I oh, didn't mean really. in every way. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I mean, we all kind of miss uh, being able to downhill ski in the way we used to, and you know, there's all kinds of stuff you can miss, but but there's there is good stuff, you know, and it's so interesting that that happiness mm-hmm. is the thing that's found in you know study after study you probably know about the the study of thousands of people that that yielded that happiness curve oh yeah this is great i remember yes it. yes yeah. yes and it it show, and it it, it's, it works all around the world different societies and so forth and the curve shows that we are happiest when at the beginning of our lives and then it dips down in mm-hmm. middle age right and then it starts going up again And the year of the greatest happiness on this curve is 82. (laughs) 82. Hear that, everybody? 82. And that's based (laughs) on, you know, interviews of people on, uh, you know, life satisfaction, happiness, all kinds of things like that. So great. I think of my, my own parents at
1: 82, and my mother used to tell me that there's this She'd say, yeah, yeah, you think you know so much about your brain and health and science and all this. She says, but the brain has a little inhibitor, inhibitor in it. And by the time you're 82, it's gone. I'm <laughs> <Exactly>. Completely uninhibited. <laughs> and I yeah. and I thought that. I thought that when I was in the grocery store line the other day and, and somebody just cut me off. And I thought, you know, I would normally just sit here and growl. And I said, excuse me, I, I had no more. That 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 inhibitor has kind of disappeared. I can yeah. speak up for myself quicker, easier. The voice, the voice comes out. Now, I know that there's lots of social, cultural uh, ramifications for what I'm saying. You know, not everybody finds their voice. Not everybody moves into these elder years with a sense of elder agency. But right. I, I think that the, the tools and techniques that you're offering in this book are a gateway for a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of your favorite? Let's go into that and give people some good practical.
2: Some gateways. Yeah. You mean how to get, how to get, how to really enjoy our our final years? Exactly.
1: How, how to get in touch with these surprising pleasures. You know, you look at, I mean, you've, you've said you got to meditate. You got to move. You've got to nourish your body correctly. You know, you, you, it's kind of like a the wellness champion in me was really excited to hear you just lay out some of these very practical things as well.
2: Yeah, and uh, I mean, you can do it on your own as I've been sort of showing. You yeah. can just decide to sink down and check in with your body. And then once you've checked in, then you know what it needs and you know what kind of changes to make in it. You know, like when you're lying on the yoga mat, you, you feel that sore back oh, yes. and you just move into you move into that sore back more. And then, you know, what, what you're suffering with, you you know, you've got the information to move around, stretch out that sore back, move it, you know, so you've got the information and then we've got all these incredible what you mentioned, all these is these incredible uh, practices, you know, thousands year of year old practices. they obviously work. Mm. And you know meditation is so good for everybody, uh because you know it 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 increases your your emotional capacity for regulation and 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 your compassion and the sharpness of your attention and so on. But then it's very interesting. There's not much research on older people and meditation. But um, the, the little research there is, one of my favorite things is that the brain actually, the biomarkers in the brain are younger. So our brains are better preserved if we do meditation. Yeah. Isn't that and beautiful? that's shown up, that's shown up over and over again. And uh, you know, they some of them have found that it's Seven and a half years younger. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know it. I know it. It's it's been then, I've been following then, it.
2: Yeah. I've been and following then as you said, of course, of course, eating, eating right and uh, you know, exercise is incredibly important as we get older. And the other things, of course, are remaining socially connected. That's really good for being older. Um any kind of movement. Um, and I would add to the things that most people talk about, um, body awareness, yeah, because exactly. I think, you know, that we actually have the capacity as we get older for more embodiment because of all the things I talked about, you know, that our bodies are less reactive. I think there's more sort of quiet and space inside, and that we can be more embodied, um and some of us embodied really, for the first fully embodied for the first time in older age. I know. which to me is just one of the most wonderful things because embodiment, you know living living in your body, having the mind and body um, integrated, it's, it's so important for for our well-being, for for everything. There's so many ways that
1: We see in our students in their integrative health master's program today, they started giving their oral defense of their thesis and their capstone projects. And um, and one of them in particular was talking about this trauma age that we live in and that we've come through, especially in the last couple of years, and that it's um, really organizational leaders and workplaces and all need to have some trauma-informed kind of mindfulness in order to work with employees there. Yeah, because the employees are saying I can't afford to stop and pay attention right now to these things because I have no control over them and I can't expect to get any help with it I'm on my own I'm working remote I'm this is that there's this continuous it's not full-blown PTSD but it is this kind of um high level of noise of a cortisol outpouring of stress and anxiety mm-hmm. and and it is uh, ubiquitous right now, especially in workplaces. Yes. And we're seeing that. You're seeing the statistics as well as a clinical psychologist of the rise of anxiety and depression, not only in the workplace, but in school-aged children, in high schoolers, in college level. It's an overwhelming distress alarm right now. And, and if it goes on too long, there is a a disorder in the, the multi-dimensional assessment of interoceptive awareness that M-A-I-A described beautifully uh, in her book. If you have her book, page 94, it's fabulous. And it gives about seven points, I think, of time to check in. Do you notice where tension is in your body? Can you even notice it? Uh, do you notice when you're uncomfortable in your body? Um, there's another one. Uh, can you use your breath, your breathing, to reduce tension? I mean, some of these are first-time sentences for a lot of folks. You know. Yes.
2: Yeah. Yes. I, was, and this, I And this, this questionnaire you're, you're talking about is is a questionnaire trying to assess your amount of interoceptive awareness. And, wow. And uh, wow. so, right. Um, <laughs> And so many people don't have it and need it so badly right now. John Kabat-Zinn, you know, who started the sort of meditation for regular people revolution. I mean, he was going into workplaces. He was going into various uh, hospitals. And that's the way he started. And I do wish, and I do think, uh, you know, now that things seem to be calming down in in the viral world, that a lot of us should go into the workplaces. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think it would be the thing to do. It's 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 the social action of the time. <laughs> it is. Really. Yeah. To, to try to help people um, calm down, but not just through leading meditation, but giving them their own tools like meditation or yoga. I know. Um, or just deep breathing, you know, all the way from the pelvis, all the way up. You know, up here because it really it triggers a different state you know it it takes you from this sympathetic nervous system which is all about you know flight and fight and, and it puts you into the parasympathetic nervous system which is all about resting and digesting mm.
1: puts the brakes
2: calming, on yeah calming and yeah. you know you can actually feel sometimes when you do that deep breathing, you can actually feel that switch right around here. You can actually feel it changing. And so we have these tools and we do have to get the mouth there. That's and it's sure. not that other people haven't thought of this, but I, I'm, I'm just going along with you and saying we need to do more of it now. Mm-hmm. And, in, and in the schools, you know, meditate. There are people who meditate with kids in the schools and um, I, I was aware of a project fairly recently of people that went in and taught kids in uh, inner city schools, kids that were particularly stressed, according to their teachers. They went into classrooms where the kids were particularly stressed and taught the meditation. And then they they did some pre and post tests, and they found that they actually got calmer. I mean, it, oh, yeah. it was really something.
1: Well, I think, I think I want to add something to that list, and that is to hang around with the mellow elder. <laughs> I think that it's as good as, it's as it, I'm, I'm thinking about my weekend. I went camping over the weekend with eight family members, son, yeah. his wife, two grandbabies, a yeah. uh, daughter, her boyfriend, and who joined us but my ex-husband. And I was there. And I thought, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, We'd be at each other's throats. This could never have happened. <laughs> now we're a couple of mellow elders, and we're mm-hmm. joking about this and that. And and it was this big, crazy family camping adventure, fast and furious over the weekend. And I look at it, though it was setting an example in a sense, it was that um, morphogenic field that Rupert Sheldrake used to talk about. We were setting an example of positivity bias of Uh, a lack of um of agitation or hyperactivity or hyper reactivity and that role modeling had an effect with everybody else with my you know 38 year old 40 year old children as well who also got to be around a mellower elder so you you know, you go into this in the emotional body in the book of why we do mellow out a bit and, and you've yeah. covered a lot of that. I don't mean to have you covered again. I'm just I'm you just know, I just I just out.
2: wanted to add something in about what? being around elders because I think it's also so important for combating ageism, yes, yes. you know? because um, if you think of older people as being in some other world, you know, it's it's like another another planet or something. You know, then you're going to hold on to your ageism that mm. older people are weird or you know they've disappeared or they're not interesting or something. If you can have intergenerational groups wow. and really get to know each other, that is just great. And and that so that's one of the ways of combating ageism too. It is
1: intergenerational groups. I mean. Mm-hmm. Oh, we need more of that. and more of that, especially in a day and age of such reliance on technology, you know and um, and not to be put to pasture because we don't you know, catch on to uh, technology as as fast as my three year- old <laughs> granddaughter maybe. but um, in terms of cultivating healthier emotions, mm-hmm. that's a, that's a lot. I mean, that is that is unstoppable in terms of the benefits to the human body and to societies as well, that cultivation. So I think we're happiest at this stage. I'm going to go with that. I like that theory. I'm sticking with it.
2: However, there is still a lot of ageism and a lot of, you know, internalized ageism. And that's the worst is is when we think of ourselves, you know, in in less positive terms. <clears throat> we think that, you know, younger people won't want to talk to us because we're boring. Mm-hmm. or we, wow. yeah, that kind of thing, you know, or or we're we think that we're over the hill and uh, we can't really do anything. And so, you know, I think that's so important too, because you know, those studies by Becca Levy show that, people that 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 have more positive internalized views of being older mm-hmm. they actually live seven and a half years longer it's another seven and a half <laughs> but it's so fascinating because she was able you know to to take people who who answered questions about what they thought about aging starting when they were little kids And follow them over the years. And then she was able to take that and add it to another sample. And and also look at death statistics. And she was actually able to prove that people who years earlier had said more positive things about aging, and aging people actually lived seven and a half years longer. I mean, when those studies came out, that really rocked the, the the aging world. I mean, that was <laughs> that's pretty amazing. So it shows how important our views of aging people are, too. No, and, Levy. and that's another reason to get together with people like you <laughs> and you. Yeah, seven and a half years longer. Yeah, Levy's team
1: found that older people who even rejected age stereotypes were less likely to develop Alzheimer's. I remember that that came out. That's another study. Yeah.
2: Or to have heart attacks. Right. That's another part of of her work. Self
1: perceptions of aging, ridding yourself of ageist beliefs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is right up there in my book with the meditation, the yoga, the breathing techniques, the releasing of tension, the developing of the interoceptive awareness um, that. Here's a, a one quote in your book here, "Levy's team found that positive self perceptions of aging increase longevity more than low blood pressure, low cholesterol, BMI, non-smoking or exercise how And, oh, and then how many times have we been beat up about our BMI? You know it's just, this is like, let's let go of that one right away. <laughs> so I'm all for it. Oh my God, right. There's a call to action here, really. You know, a call to action—not just for all of society, but like you said, for for people to drop the ageist, the um, internalized ageist, and just like we don't want to internalize a, um, a an oppressor mentality of any kind. So, taking on this kind of freer, more liberated, happier self-talk in life, mm-hmm. re envisioning ourselves in a way forgetting these negative stereotypes did the women in your in all of your interviews did they do that better in a group or one on one did they join classes to learn that how did they go about improving this old inner self talk
2: well the people in, the, the people i interviewed were just regular folks okay i think maybe i that wasn't clear in the book they were just regular was. folks, the friends of mine, colleagues, neighbors, you know, people I interviewed. Um, and, you know, they ranged in age from like 59 to 91. So I just wanted to learn more about aging from them. Mm-hmm. They weren't actually they weren't actually working on themselves necessarily. You know, somewhere. Yep. So they weren't all equating
1: aging with. Um, degradation, falling apart. I mean, there was a range of attitudes then in what Absolutely.
2: you saw. Yeah. Okay. And for the most part, you know, every single one of them said things have gotten better as I've gotten older.
1: I love that. Do people right. realize their own gifts more as well? Your own gifts, your own unique talents. There's always seems to be a search for that, you know.
2: I think that's one of the most important things that we can do as we get older is to not stop. You know, it used to be that at age 65 you would retire and then you'd just like you'd want to be at the pool or be on the golf course or something. Mm -hmm. Well, of course we've added 30 years to our lifespan, you know, (laughs) in the last century. So we retire at 65, we have another 30 years. So I think that you can have a you can have a whole other life. And I I you know, I'm writing a book. Um, mm-hmm. I've got a friend who's writing songs. I, I, I've got another friend who, who moved to Nicaragua with her husband, with her husband to you know to work with um, a community in the jungle. And to, that's wild. That's yes. great. Yep. Yeah. So you know, there's a whole other chapter. Mm. And so that's that's one of the main things I think is to know that you can keep on. Developing new identities. There's no reason we have to stop.
1: It's a lot. Uh, That's a beautiful thing to remind yourself of. You you also write in the book that uh I think when Gloria Steinem turned 84, you know, people said, Now who are you passing the torch to? No. She said, I'm still holding the torch. What are you talking about? <laughs> or something I, like that. I,
2: I'm still holding it and you can light holding. your torch from mine. She yeah, said. take that. <laughs> so continue to That's understand. That's exactly right. She's still holding that and she's still yeah. illuminating her way forward. Oh, I know. Very much so. Right. Uh, the other the other image I like so much that i helps me in getting older is um we've had this image of the sort of the lifespan as like this. Oh, well, the This is not the happiness about? curve. <laughs> no. No, this is the opposite. This is, you know, that you reach sort of your peak, you know, in, in middle age. And then it's downhill. And you slide down the other side, you know, in, into this despairing old age. And if we can dump that image of the ark, mm-hmm. which is all over the culture.
1: All over the place. And all I over mean-
2: art. It's all over everywhere. If we can dump that image and Ed Diener, who is you know one of the uh, positive psychologists, he's suggesting he suggested substituting for that a an upward spiral, an upward mm-hmm. spiral with many different trajectories. Fantastic! Yeah, you know, oh, and what trajectories such, do you see for yourself? Yeah, I'd
1: love that image much more. I think it the the arc is. It's so reinforced in the medical linguistics. Um, men are told 30 on, they're losing their stamina, their testosterone. Women are told At a certain age, you have nothing but ovarian failure. I mean, the, the, the language is, it's laced with all sorts of things that say your body's not a miracle. Your body's just in a state of death and dying its whole life. And and ridding ourself of, of that kind of ageism language, it's, it's, pervasive in medical lingo but it's also it's uh pervasive i think in in just how we look at sales and marketing language whether it's on instagram or it's on tiktok who are the social influencers right now mm-hmm. and um you know, are, are we really meant to buy things from a 12 year old that's pushing makeup products on instagram so this is there has to be an an active counterpart that's um, yes, your book launches a lot of it, but is also shows greater positivity and emotional steadiness and readiness throughout. So I just a call to action here for people to come forward and, and join you in this embodied stance in life. It's really exciting for me. Really exciting. It's very
2: exciting for me too, because we, you know we we have the we have the chance to revise our vision, you yeah. know and and really uh, write a new vision ourselves for aging. I mean, we have our particularly my my group, the baby boomers. I mean, we've worked on all kinds of inequality. We've worked on uh, uh, you know sexual inequality and and racial inequality and disability inequality, but age inequality. You know that's that's sort of a, the next a wide frontier. open place. It's the next frontier. It is. And so it, let's try to revision aging as huh. you know this upward spiral. I'm just going to buy a birthday card for somebody. You have to stand
1: at that counter a long time. I've got a friend turning seventy five, and uh, just to find an upbeat birthday card. Every card was a, an ageist slam of some kind. A derogatory. It was exhausting. I thought, no, I'm not going to bend to these. Okay, that one is kind of funny, but I'm not going to go with it. How do I actually find something
2: else here? You know, this it's is, really a problem because the ones problem. that are, the ones that are supposed to be upbeat are all about, you know, getting getting drunk together. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> or losing your way home or yeah exactly i know it. oh amazing but it is true um this is the next frontier then for an, um, a compassionate equitable response um i teach neurobiology to uh, in their master's in integrative health and there's this part of the brain anterior cingulate and it's one of my favorite parts and it's mm-hmm. like it's the kind that of discerns and it's always monitoring your environment and it's always kind of on alert for that. In other words, it can judge. It can judge good, bad, high value, low value. And the flip side of it is that it also self judges, high criticality, high poor self regard at the same time. And so, what I notice in teaching people more discernment is that you have to teach them more self-compassion at the same time in yes. order to balance out this work and that it is uh it's that that expression of fullness in the body yeah. has to be measured with a big dose of self-compassion too as you start absolutely practicing.
2: but it, it but that that the acc i mean is is part of the interoceptive network
1: it is isn't it
2: yeah. it is it is and it's yeah. there to take these sensations and to decide, you know, what what's the value of these? Mm-hmm. Are the, is it good? Is it bad? Is is this sensation coming up? Should I pay attention to it? Shouldn't I? So it's very it's a very critical part. But yeah. it's critical in both ways. I mean, it's critical also for maintaining our survival. So if if I, I if you kind of think about that, oh, here's my ACC. Mm -hmm. doing its thing it's trying to decide what's good for me what isn't it is as I can feel it
1: there's this little experiment I do with the students we gather six of them in a circle and we say we're just going to throw the ball back and forth to each other it's an old experiment and it was done on college students years ago and you say I'm just going to throw it randomly to anybody and you throw it randomly to anybody else in the circle however there's a trick to this you collude with one of them beforehand and you say i'm just going to throw to you and you throw to me after about two throws and if they were all hooked up on functional mri at that point it would be flashing the acc would be going nuts especially the dorsal branch because they'd say <laughs> i'm left out what is this nobody likes me how come they're not throwing the ball to me i'm noticing i'm noticing i'm noticing i'm left out i don't belong acc and, and the dorsal aspect also looks at belonging and yes. the heavy judgment that you lay upon yourself so God, I think I I would love to see groups formed and study this book and have a book club about it because oh. they would have a sense of belonging and a cheerful, high self regard from just sharing these these new secret pleasures of an aging body. <laughs> and so it's yeah. just it's just something I can get pretty excited about. <laughs> okay, I can get Good.
2: excited about it. Too. <laughs> Well,
1: we've been throwing, I've been throwing all sorts of questions for you and I'm sorry I jumped all over the place, Susan. I promised to try to stay with one theme at a time. And
2: I, I don't I'm want you over. to stay with one thing at one time. I mean, I know all this stuff. I like, <laughs> I like some new information coming in, okay, some new good. questions. So we I, are I really enjoyed talking with you. Oh, this. perfect. Here we are. Two women in their seventies
1: talking and having fun about what brings us joy. And Mm I wish I wish that blessing on people of all ages right now, the ease and the ability to just be with that, you know, that is that is the gift of your book. And uh, I have so enjoyed working with you and talking with you
2: tonight. Oh, I have I have totally enjoyed this. It it really has expanded,
0: expanded me. Thank you for listening to the CIIS Public Programs Podcast. Our talks and conversations are presented live in San Francisco, California. We recognize that our university's building in San Francisco occupies traditional, unceded Ramaytush Ohlone lands. If you are interested in learning more about native lands, languages, and territories, the website native-land.ca is a helpful resource for you to learn about and acknowledge the indigenous land where you live. Podcast production is supervised by Kirsten Van Cleef at CIIS Public Programs. Audio production is supervised by Lyle Barrere at Desired Effect. The CIIS Public Programs team includes Kyle Demedio, Alex Elliott, Emlyn Guinea, Jason MacArthur, and Patty Fort. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe wherever you find podcasts. Visit our website, ciis.edu, and connect with us on social media at CIISPubPrograms. CIIS Public Programs commits to use our in-person and online platforms to uplift the stories and teachings of Black, Indigenous, and other people of color, those in the LGBTQIA community, and all of whose lives emerge from the intersections of multiple identities.